How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Wow. I, I, you know, your breath control is just remarkable. It's more, better and better every time. Oh, I thank you, Dr. Joe. Have you been doing some, like, athletic workouts or something? That, yeah, yeah. Well, I miss the karaoke. You know how much I miss my karaoke. I know. So do I. For, all, for everybody there, Monica, the Ming, and Jimmy, and everybody, we miss you guys a lot. This used to be our tradition after the show. We would go over to our local Chinese restaurant and sing one karaoke song. Mm-hmm. But it had to be a new one. We could sing the same song twice. So right, it was a challenge. It was a challenge, but we were up for it. It was great. Miss it, yeah. Tom, how are you doing? How's your week been? Oh, it's been good, Doctor Joe. I just uh, dipped my feet back into the world of Bitcoin. Really? Every now and then, I'll get some sort of hot tip that everyone has already heard. <laughs> and that mm, we could have a long conversation about that. But I don't think that's the subject of the show tonight. And I got crypto FOMO. Like, I know you're not supposed to invest in things you don't fully understand, but I have a Coinbase account, and I bought myself some Bitcoin. I cannot wait to hear more about it, perhaps even from our guest tonight. Tom, will you introduce our guest tonight? Oh, handy we have her here. She's a financial planner with a passion for the intersection of taxes and investing. She likes to work with motivated savers beneficiaries of estates, business owners, divorcees, and pre-retirees. Ladies and gentlemen, Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Wow. Welcome. I've got to work on the sound effects on my show. This is this is a whole new level here. And, and you have an incredible show, incredible show on, on WAT. Tell us, tell us about that right away. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Good evening. Um, yeah, so I'm one of the hosts of McNamara on Money, also here on WATD. We've been on Saturday mornings. I think it's about 30 years now, 27, 30 years. My, uh, my father started it all those years ago. I've been on, I don't know, 15, 18 years now. Um, so we're now Saturday mornings, 8.30 to 10.30, and also Sunday mornings, 7, 7.30 to 9.30. It's uh, fantastic. And, and for the listeners out there, new to, to the Dr. Joe show, but also um, new to WATD, listen to it. It is great. I, I am an avid fan. Thank uh, you. I think I even called in once and asked something about my mother's finances. So, well, thank you. And actually, I think it's eight to ten. I just, I think I just misspoke. I'm sure it was eight to ten, not eight thirty to ten thirty. But thank you for having me. And I actually look forward to having Mark on our show. I think we picked a date in early April. Yes, we did. After ski season, so I look forward to that as well. But thanks for having me. Sure. So, Mark, what's what's that show going to be about? I think we're talking about real estate investing, right? As a as a diverse diversification for the portfolio. To, yeah, uh, we we were tossing around some ideas, um, talking about real estate closings for two hours might be a little uh, a little boring for two hours, but 
uh, yeah, anything related to real estate and maybe some legal stuff. And I thought we could get into, um, you know, how like in-laws are very common right now and how do you own the properties and things to think about. I thought we could chat about some of that stuff from a legal and a financial perspective. Yeah. And how closings are being conducted these days. It's not, Ah, it's, uh, it's innovative, right? Dr. Joe. Adaptation is innovation. That's that's how we are approaching COVID. Listen, I I just so appreciate the enthusiasm that I hear in your voice as you're talking about. So your dad did the show first. Is that, I mean, how did you get involved Um, in finance? Um, I sort of just fell into it. Like I said, off, off air, I, my, uh, bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. So, um, I've always loved math and problem solving. Um, and you know, when I got out of school, I just like, I hadn't found my passion in my four years at Villanova. I loved the school and, and my experience there, but hadn't found my passion from a career perspective, um, had always, you know, worked with my father summers and all that of course growing up and helped him out in the business um and then you know just sort of just literally just fell into it and started to really enjoy it um and learn a lot and just found that it was you know that that was just such a good fit for me i um i'm able to achieve this great work-life balance being self-employed and which is great when you have kids as i'm sure you know and um, I, you know, I can still do my math and my problem solving and the financial planning that I do for clients and investments. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's my story. I just, I, it's, it's the family business. I work with my husband now and my brother and my father. Um, so it's, it's, we've just, we've built a great family business and, and it's, it's just a joy to go to work every day. And I feel so corny saying that, but it's, but it's true. And actually I don't go to work every day right now. Of course it's, Right. Uh, you know, balancing, you know, being in the office and being at home too. But that's, but that's actually been nice to be home more. So, yeah. How has that balance been? I mean, you're... So, you know, in, in many regards, it's been wonderful. I, you know, my girls are getting to the ages where, you know, I'm understanding that their childhood is fleeting and, you know, they're getting older and that's, you know, very sad, of course, to think about that, but um, it's been so nice to spend the extra time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, balancing work and my clients and running the business and, um, you know, of course that, that has been incredibly challenging. Um, but you know, I've had help. My husband and I can both sort of be flexible with our schedules. So, you know, we try to alternate and, um, before my parents, they winter in Florida, but they were, you know, very helpful before they went down for the winter. And, um, so I, we've, we have a lot of help. So it has many stresses, of course. Um, as it, you know, this situation is stressful for many people for many different reasons, but, um, but on the other hand, it's been so great to have the girls home every day. And I think I'm really going to be incredibly sad when they, when they go off to school, which is going to be in a couple of weeks, they're supposed to go back really four days. So yeah. And so it's been, it's been good. Yeah. It, it has been a blessing, isn't it? These, these hidden blessings of, of this whole pandemic, yeah. getting yeah. a little closer to our family sounds like. You and I have a lot in common in terms of definition of success. I don't mean to impose, but for me, I love going to work and I love going home. Uh, For me, that's that's success. And right now, I get to do both at the same time. So I am doing all telehealth and telepsychiatry, and my commute is about you know forty five (laughs) seconds. It's it's great. There's something wonderful about it. 
I think there's a lot of silver linings here to this um, awful health pandemic, but I think that there's, you know, people are realizing what's really important in life. And um, it, I think it was good for, for me personally, and for a lot of people, I think it was just good to slow down for a little while yeah. um, and, and realize that, you know, maybe I don't need all this other stuff in my life and it's okay to, you know, just be home sometimes and enjoy your family. So that's been nice. Yeah, it's true. So how has that impacted the work? Could you like just tell our audience a little bit about what, what I do. Read does? And yeah, sure. So I'm an invest, I'm an asset manager, which means I manage money for people. So people that have, for example, rollovers, if they leave a job or they inherit some money or they're just, you know, good savers and tucking money away. So I manage money for clients um, and we charge a fee on an annual basis for that. We're what's called a fee-based advisor. Um, and we're like a, we're a big, small firm, it, you know, in the world of asset management, we're relatively small firm, you know, compared to the fidelities of the world, for example. Um, but we're, we're a small independent, like service oriented firm. We've got great relationships with our clients. We manage about a half a billion dollars. So we're like a big, small firm oh. in that regard. Um, but really as, as Tom read on my bio, my passion is really in the financial planning and the modeling and that problem solving that I can do for my clients, which is really, you know, helping them answer those questions that are like, am I saving enough money? When, when can I retire? Can I, can I afford to slow down and, and take on, you know, a job or a career that's less stressful? Um, you know, can, can I afford to send my kids to a four-year private school times three or four kids? You know, what, you know, can, can I take on these loans and afford to pay them back? So it's helping them answer all those, those, um, those financial questions in their life and, and helping them, you know, ho hopefully anyway, give them some peace of mind that what they're doing is, is going to help them achieve their goals, their long-term goals. Um, so that's really where my passion lies and in, in that, and that modeling, that's where my engineering background really comes in and that, that analysis that I can do and all that number crunching, that's really, that's really where my passion is. Hmm. And I, and, and I, I, you know, I'm biased of course, but I do selfishly think that, well, not selfishly, but, but I do in all honesty think that that is an incredibly valuable exercise that people can go through. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into, well, we're going to get into the psychology of money today, but, um, but as you probably know, and we'll talk about more that, you know, money and finances can be such an incredible stress for people. Um, but, you know, my goal is to go through this process and get them on a path where I can, I guess I can't assure them, but I can help them feel comfortable that, you know, what, what you're doing is going to be enough and you're on a good track and, and maybe things will be okay. And of course that's not the case for everybody. And sometimes there's work to be done so that we can get there. But the end, the, the end goal is all always let's put a financial plan together where you can achieve your goals. And maybe we need to modify them a little bit from your original goals, but you know, working through that process and getting people on that right track is, is, is incredibly um, I, I think in some regards, like very liberating for people and, and really can serve as a source of comfort and a stress relief um, for them. So, so in that regard, I think, you know, that aspect of what I do, it can be quite powerful. Very important to so many people, isn't it, Dr. Joe? It sure is. I mean, in some ways, you know, if you think about the IM and the four domains, money uh, touches on every single one of them. How many times have you felt a little bit anxious that you were unable to pay something or a little bit excited that you had maybe a little bit more money that you could do something special with. 
Well, we see a lot of relationships breaking down based on money, right? And and there's a lot of struggle that's happening right now, and and it is based on money. But money, money is a necessity, right? I mean, we have to have it to do certain things, but how much do we need to have? And uh, it's always an interesting conversation especially with all the billionaires out there right now being challenged on is, is do they have too much money? But mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to Alyssa because we, we do a lot of work closely with her, her and her firm because they care so much about people, right? And they really get in there and, and plan for the future. And there's, I want to know why some people resist or, or hesitate to get financial advice? Do they think that there's a barrier to entry, like there's a minimum threshold of how much money you need, or do they think it's expensive? Because they didn't teach me in college how to manage my money. Like this requires professional advice. What What is it, Alyssa, that holds people back from calling you and saying, I need your help? Yeah, I think it's, well, you have to remember that I don't, talk to those people normally right the people that aren't calling me aren't calling me so um so i'm not 100 percent sure but i but people have made comments to me about you know i was embarrassed to come in i wasn't sure if i had enough money um people have this perception that you know if you're working with a financial advisor you have to be wealthy um you know of course there's different definitions of wealth right of course but um, yeah, people sometimes are embarrassed. They feel like they don't have enough. Maybe they feel like they're going to be judged that they didn't save enough. Maybe they haven't been maxing their 401ks or, um, you know, stuff like that. They're worried that they're going to be judged. Of course, you and I, you know, you and I know that this is ridiculous and we're here to, you know, to help and, and whatever happened in the past is in the past and we, and we make a plan to move forward. But, you know, other, I think other times people, um, maybe you're embarrassed that they don't know enough about money. You know, there could be someone that has a million or a couple million bucks and literally they don't know, you know, they'll make a comment to me like, I I don't know anything about investing. I don't know anything about money. I've never done a budget, you know, but there are people that can still be successful in that aspect of their life. Um, but, but maybe be embarrassed that, that they don't really know what they're doing. Having said that, that's why I have a profession. So, uh, you know, I'm always like, well, you know, you should really never be embarrassed about, something like that with me, I wouldn't have a career if there weren't people that were seeking out, you know, advice in, in that regard. So, um, that's what I can think of off the top of my head. I, I, you know, and, and of course there are people that, um, maybe they just unfortunately haven't saved enough and, and they, they don't have assets that they, you know, need help with. So that, that's very unfortunate. Those aren't the people that I work with, of course, but, um, so I'm, I, you know, I work with like a certain subset of the population. But, you know, I would, I would say it probably comes back to they're, they're embarrassed or they don't know. I, I, I also will say sometimes people don't know when they need advice, right? So there are sometimes when I meet people that are, you know, 62 and they want to retire in a few years, for example, and I'm kind of wishing I met them sooner. I'm sorry. Am I talking too much, Dr. Jeff? No, no, I'm oh. 62. I want to okay. retire in a few years. Yeah, so I, like, you know, I was actually going to ask you, Dr. Joe, you know, how's yours? You know, I mean, it's um, terrible, but, but uh, we'll, yeah. we'll get there. So go on. So, so, yeah, so 
I, I think that they're like, for example, there might be someone who, you know, has worked for the same employer for 30 years, right? And, and all their money is in their 401k and, and maybe there's an investment person at the company that's helping them. So they don't really need help in that regard and they have a savings vehicle that they're saving for. But, and so they kind of like don't really need advice but if I meet someone like that, again, when they're like 62 and hoping to retire soon, there are some times when I'm just like, oh, I wish I had to even just talk to you for an hour, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, just to give you a little snippet of, you know, maybe do this and do that. Um, so I, I think that there are people that just maybe don't know that it's, that, that it's perfectly fine and in fact, ideal from both sides of the table to just have a, have a consultation and uh whether or not you're really ready or have money to be managed at that time whether or not you're you know there let's maybe just you know have a conversation and and see where you are does that make sense um i think sometimes people just don't just don't know when it's the right time um i would say the biggest trigger for people is a change of job where there's a chunk of money that they don't know what to do with um, and the other large trigger is an inheritance, again, uh, you know, coming into money and the, the excitement and maybe nerves, like, I don't want to screw this up. I, you know, I, I don't want to do the wrong thing. Um, and I guess the third trigger would, would probably be, I would like to retire someday. How do I do it? Um, so that's, you know. Or how do I put my kids through college? It seems or, like there's, yes. there's three phases to the the wealth accumulation if you will it's the how am i going to pay for my college how am i going to retire and then what type of legacy am i going to leave behind yeah right yeah yeah but you don't know what you don't know dr joe and that's why professionals are so so very important because just like you said Alyssa, i mean if i had smoked you 10 years ago yeah you know i could see it in dr joe's face like oh I wish I, exactly. I wish I had had that conversation 10 years because you, you don't know what you don't know. And then you look yeah. back and you say, oh, I wish I had. I wish I had. But there's always now, right? There's always yeah. the opportunity to, to fix things that you can fix now. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to confidence. Like I can think of times where I've had a 28-year-old, you know, walk into my office um, and, and just they, you know, I can think of a few actually, and they just, they're kind of like, you know, I don't really have much money, but I'm working and I'm saving and I just want to know if I'm doing things right. And you know what, that takes guts. And I'm, and I always compliment them for that. I'm like, congratulations, you know, congratulations to you for, for walking in, you know, here and, and, and knowing that this is, that it's okay to ask these questions. And, you know, of course I offer a no cost consultation, you know, and so I, I think that that's great. Um, however, like we were just talking about on the flip side, I think there are people that just, you know, they don't have that confidence or they're worried or they're nervous and, 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 and they kind of wait maybe a little bit longer than they should have, at least in my opinion. Um, and that's unfortunate. So I, I would wish that everyone that has, you know, any sort of, you know, desire to retire and, and, you know, assets that income that they could use for savings that, you know, anyone just have a conversation with someone, get some ideas. And, you know, there, there have been lots of times where I sat down with someone and maybe we weren't ready for a relationship at that time for a variety of reasons, but it's kind of like, Hey, here's a few things to do and think about. And I'll see you in 10 years. And, and, uh, it's kind of cool. Cause now I've been, you know, my career has been long enough where that stuff is starting to come back and I'm starting to see those people come back. And it's really, 
that's really great. Um, that that's very fun to see. This is a great catchphrase: desire to retire. <laughs> I just I, I've never used that oh, before either. <laughs> it's a great one. I'm telling you, that could be right there. McNary Reed. Desire slogan. You know what she did say though, Doctor Joe? That that really kind of jumps out at me is you know people hesitate to even get the professional advice for fear of being judged mm. for fear of being judged like i i don't know what i'm doing and i'm an idiot and you're gonna you're gonna chastise me but mm. what about that out in the the rest of the world i mean money and judgment right how the ic domain that we always talk about mm -hmm. right isn't that so so much part a part of money right you know big hat no cattle right a lot of folks who you know they think that they need to present a certain air about themselves but yet yeah living above their means right i think that's very unfortunate in in our society um that that there are many people you know certainly some people many people that feel the pressure to um you know project an image of of wealth for example and and yeah i think unfortunately some people that are projecting that image um maybe aren't doing the things that they really should be doing in terms of saving the right amounts to pull off the right retirement or maybe they have you know a huge mortgage that they questionably can afford and, and things like that i think that 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 pressure is very I, i'm sad for people that that exists and that people feel that pressure um i mean I, I i've met people that um you know i never i never really see where people live and what their life looks like where, where our meetings are in the office or, or via zoom but um you know there are people that i think are projecting that you, you just never know what's behind the scenes right you, you, there are people that are projecting that image that aren't doing the right things in the background in terms of savings having said that i've met you know a, a lot of people with a lot of money um that just that live very modest lifestyles and and that and they're and they're not uh succumbing to that pressure right and and i i think that that's wonderful um and again i think maybe that comes back to i don't know yeah i'm not the doctor right maybe that comes back to confidence and and mm. and how worried you are about what people how people perceive you but uh, <clears throat> yeah i feel i think about that a lot actually in in terms of um, you know, because of what I do and, and what I, um, help clients with and what I know about their financial lives. And, and I, I just, I feel sad about that very often. Um, so I'll like never buy myself a new car. I just refuse to do it. I'm going to drive my car for like 20 years. Um, because I don't know, I, I'm the type of person that I get a little bit embarrassed when I, when I, like, if I had a brand new, um, you know, Audi SUV, for example, right now, which is a beautiful car, I would be embarrassed to drive it, I think. Um, so I think it can go both ways, you know, many people, um, and I'm not here for a personal <laughs> session on me, but I can see Dr. Joe analyzing me right now, but, but I, but I, but I do think that can go both ways from a financial perspective, you know, in terms of long-term financial success, probably my, my, the way about me probably is, is might lead to a brighter financial future anyway but um but but again what i'm saying is the pressure can go both ways what is, what is so, that dr yeah. joe is that is that humility is that um you know the the fact that she doesn't want to be flashy 
right? She she's taking the opposite side of the big hat no cattle. What is that? The millionaire next yeah. door that talks about big hat no cattle. But on the other side of that is, you know, because I I know exactly what emotion you're talking about, Alyssa. I, I I feel the same thing sometimes. It's 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 not shame, but is it is it um, you don't want people to look at you as somebody who's wealthy, right? Yeah. Because you want to be part of the community and not yeah. not outside of the community, right? Maybe that's it. Yeah. I I, I don't know what it, I mean. So I, I probably actually do know what it is, but um, you want to share that? Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know what? It, again, I I think I said offline that I'm one of the biggest. Uh, I'm the hardest critic of myself. I'm very hard on myself. I know this about me, but I, I don't know that I can change it. <laughs> um, I think it comes down to like some, t- I work very hard in my career and in my life as a parent. I, I work, I'm a, I'm like one of the hardest working people you'll ever meet, but, but, and, and I've had success in my career and, and, and I think I feel like sometimes I don't deserve it. Um, but if I really think about it, I work incredibly hard. So so in, in, I should know that, that I do deserve um, success, yeah. but uh, but I'm, I don't know if I'm in, I'm not embarrassed, I'm just, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. Some of the, the most remarkable psychiatrists I ever met when I was in training at MGH McLean um, were also some of the most humble people I've ever met. That That they were confident about who they were and what they did, and they didn't need to show it off to anyone. Yeah. They just went about their business doing what they were doing. Um, and I I have the same sort of sort of mantra. I mean, I, there's an imposter syndrome that happens, I think, to many, many people who are like really, really good at what they do. And they go, wow, but, but anyone could do this. I mean, couldn't anyone just, just do this? And yet, when you think about it, no, because you're working really hard. One of my other phrases, you know, I've worked hard to be this lucky, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's not luck. It's really yeah. hard work. Yeah. I wonder, though, in for, for you, Alyssa, and, and Mark, whether, is there something about the image that you want to project in your field, working with finances, working with money, working with real estate, is there a risk that if you're too flashy, yeah, you trigger something in your customer? Yeah. What do you sure. think? I, I I think that in my profession and Mark's probably as well, you have to strike that balance. If I was driving a very expensive car, my you know I wouldn't want someone to think, well, what is she charging for fees? You know, I mean, she must be too. She's gouging her clients, right? Right. But if right. I was dri- but if, if, I, if I literally was driving a twenty-five-year-old car that was like the you know the bumpers falling off, then my clients are thinking, well, this she couldn't be any good at her job because she right. can't afford. <laughs> right. That's the balance. Right. So that I think that there's yeah balance to be struck there, and I you know I live in the town that I work in, and and you know many of my clients are local to the South Shore, so I you know I see them around town, and oh absolutely I think that that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. And also I have three kids that uh, would like to go to college one day, likely. So I right. and and I know how expensive that is because I do those calculations for people all the time, and that's part of it too. That's that's really interesting that people want to compare yeah. where yeah. they are, right? And I would imagine that's a very natural thought, right, Dr. Joe? Like, how, how do I measure up to the rest of my community? How am I doing? 
how do I compare? Right. And, and then that unfortunately translates to how valuable am I compared to somebody else? And if I have more money, does that make me more valuable? And I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure that, that money is the yardstick of value, but it sure, it sure is. I mean, there's so many things in our world that if you don't have this money, you don't get to do these other things. That's a whole other sort of social justice discussion, perhaps. But I am curious, if, if somebody does come to you, Lisa, and they are 62 and they're trying to retire, what do you assess? Um, I assess, you know, of course, what their assets are, but the most important thing is what are your assets relative to your needs? Mm. So it really, it doesn't, I know that it doesn't make sense for people to want to be benchmarked against other people, even other people in the same town or on the same street. Um, because really what matters most is how much do you have you know, of course, plus what will your fixed income be? But for many people now, that's just social security pensions or, you know, they're going to be going by the wayside. They've already started. Um, so it's really, well, what do you have and how does that compare to basically your lifestyle and, and what are your needs? Um, you know, someone that has a million dollars and spends $3,000 a month is going to be quite well off at 62. Someone that has a million dollars and spends $15,000 a month isn't. So it, it really comes back to, um, well, it, it comes down to their lifestyle and, and, and actually that kind of comes back to the discussions we've been having about status and pressures and, and, and all those things. Some people live a lifestyle, not because they, they, um, I think part of some people's lifestyles are they're sort of pressured into it or they, they, um, I guess what I'm saying is not all, I don't know, not all their decisions are their own. I think that if people really sat down and evaluated where money was, where their money was being spent, they might make some changes and kind of, you know, start really thinking about what they value. Um, that, that's, I'm using value sort of in a different word than you yeah. are in terms of what they value in, in their, well, maybe not in, in their life. Right, right. Um, I mean, there's, there's the material world that we have to live in. I mean, no matter how spiritual somebody is, you still need material things to sustain yourself. Yeah. Um, what about what about people who still have like large mortgages um, and they don't know whether they want to like still live in a big house, whether they can just downsize? I mean, there's 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 so many permutations. I mean, there there yeah. must be as many permutations as there are people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and in a real estate um move or you know real estate is a huge factor in someone's financial plan because it's either their biggest asset or one of their biggest assets hopefully anyway hopefully when i'm meeting people at age 62 for example that hopefully they have a lot of equity in their property um, and either a small mortgage or no mortgage at that point um, but yeah re real estate is a, a big variable having said that there's not um you know, I've been in this business about 20 years. There's not a lot of people that really significantly downsize anymore in terms of taking hundreds of thousands of dollars off the table. It certainly happens, but in our area of the world, unless someone's moving, like right now, there's a lot of people, seems to be a lot of people moving to the Carolinas for, for a while. It was Florida. Um, 
but unless you're moving to somewhere else in the country that is significantly less expensive from a real estate perspective, um, I, I just don't see as many people taking as much money off the table as maybe they think they are or, or they will be or, or that they really need to be. Um, because like how many, you know, 1800 square foot brand new ranches are there around here? There's not that many, number one, and they're $700,000, right? So are you really downsizing that much um, if, if you're making a real estate move in retirement and selling off the colonial and moving to the ranch? Do you know what I mean? I just, there's not that much of a difference anymore. Mm. Um, yeah. Of course it, of course it happens, but um are you finding that too, Mark, in terms of real estate, that, that when people are retired, they, they don't want to sell their large house? Yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing that loud and clear um, right now because there is no inventory. And the folks that it makes a lot of sense to be opening up inventory of, of property would be these folks that are entering into and and into retirement age, right? They would be moving out and into something smaller, a community of 55 and older or outside of the state, which they're not doing right now. There's there's aging in place as the new phrase is called. And mm -hmm. some of them are in very large homes um, and some are in the modest homes, but, but for young families, these would be great homes, but they're opting to, to stay and they're opting to stay a lot of times, unfortunately, because they've probably paid off their mortgage and they don't want to think about having another mortgage when, again, another financial conversation. But I mean, interest rates are so low. It's like, you know, why not have a mortgage? Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's, it's not, you're not seeing a lot of uh, downsizing as, as the term would be that you know, would make sense and would help open up some of the inventory to, to, to loosen up some of the product for people to buy too. And while we were, while we we're off air, but we were talking about the effects uh, from COVID uh, on financial planning. So listen, okay. what are you seeing? Yeah. So I could go in like 15 different directions with this, but um, I think one thing that's really important that we can pull from this pandemic that, that I think it's really important for people to hear is that this is just a good reminder for people of why we have an emergency reserves, right? This is, we had some really awful markets earlier in 2020. Of course, the year ended up uh, being the markets were just rosy and wonderful um, and, and returns were great for the year. But um we talked about silver linings earlier. I think one silver lining is like, okay, this is a, that was like a little jolt that people needed, right? This is why we have cash in the bank because things happen and people lose jobs and it's, and it's awful. Um, but I would say like, uh, uh, there are, um, in 2020, the, the federal government did, in my opinion, a great job getting stimulus, you know, out there. They have bumped up unemployment. They got money into the hands of small businesses so that they could keep their employees employed, which for me was like kind of like a roundabout way to keep people off unemployment. That was sort of unemployment in a different way. Um, but, but having said that, I, I think all that was great. And I think they did a great job. They're kind of like trying to get money to people so that things don't get a lot worse. And I, and I think that's been great. Um, there were in 2020, 
people could uh, access money in their retirement plans before 59 and a half, and they did not have to pay the 10% federal tax penalty. Um, and I forget the exact statistic, but it was a very small amount of people that actually took advantage of that. I want to say it's normally like 3% of, of the population accesses that, and maybe it was 5% last year. It was very small. So that was that's that's actually really good statistic that there weren't a lot of people that that had to tap into their retirement monies early um which which is great but you know it's it it certainly has affected people and that you know maybe some people can't save as much as they were because one spouse isn't employed or you know people just want to build cash just in case their furlough turns into a permanent layoff for example so um I, i think it could have been a lot worse but but i think that there's a lot of people um that are doing just just fine thank goodness for that um well, probably because they had a good financial planner to begin with. <laughs> yes, you know, and all that. my clients had emergency cash. <laughs> right, exactly. No, I'm sure, they, or most of them anyway. They should anyway. And they didn't panic and sell when it went down. <laughs> I think I had one client that that did, and I and I tried my best to um, talk him out of it. But some sometimes people just sometimes people just can't sleep, and and you got to do what you got to do. But yes, I serve as um almost like a coach in, in that environment so from february to march and even into april um, of 2020 um really just my role a hundred percent was just calming people down giving them perspective letting them know that you know i know you don't want to hear this but the best thing you can do right now is nothing and nobody really wants to hear that mm. maybe there's a maybe there's a couple little small things that they can do um to feel better but but um yeah that's my primary a goal and objective in my role and in times like that and um you know i will say those aren't incredibly fun days to go to the office when the market's down about 35 percent and <laughs> and we're in a in a, a global health pandemic but um but of course some you know there when my clients need me and i try i try to do a lot of uh sort of training of my clients it, uh in at the beginning of our relationship so they have that perspective about what is nor- what can happen in the markets and, and what is normal what's what does history tell us about what is sort of normal based on your investment strategy and when we have the next bear market which is the bad one um you know what what to do and in, in, in all honesty it's it's nothing so i try to do i try to like head that off at the past you know when i when i uh meet new people and have those discussions ongoing with my clients so that i because i don't want them to panic when we have bad markets i want them to close their eyes and cross their fingers and have faith in me and in, in, in the, the markets in the world and in capitalism. So, right. um, so I, I try to do that in advance, right? So that, so that people don't have to panic. And I try to put them in an appropriate investment strategy so that it shouldn't cause them panic, right? If you're 62, for example, and, and about to retire, you shouldn't have had an all stock portfolio that was down 35 or 40%, right? You just shouldn't have that. So that's what it, that's what an investment professional, you know, a good one should do is have you in something that's that's appropriate for your circumstances. And um, you know, it's hard for for me to know exactly how someone's going to react with when their money does a certain thing. Um, but I want to have them in something that hopefully doesn't cause them panic. Yeah, because you know, a, an anxiety brain is a flight brain where you just want to get away from everything and. If you're that impulsive and reflexive, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. That's one of the things we talk about with the IM is it's much more important to be reflective than reflexive. 
know, so we can just reflect on what we need to do. Here's the four domains. We know that there's been a huge impact in the social domain with COVID. Everything has been impacted. How does that affect your home domain, your IC domain, biological domain? And with the money part, I mean, there, there, there is the reality that some people, and maybe all of us, money is security. Mm-hmm. Somehow money has translated into, I'm a little safer if I've got a bit more money. Has that been your experience, Alyssa? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think I ever really thought about it like that, but yeah, certainly. And again, for me, it doesn't really come down to be a, the, the dollar amount, but it's knowing that what I'm doing is going to get me where I want to be. Um, but yeah, but, but certainly, you know, when people accumulate wealth or they inherit, you know, some money at a, at a time in their life when it just really is helpful because they had debt or their kids are in college or whatever. Um, yeah, that, that is certainly a source of, of comfort for people. Of course it can bring on more stresses. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes people inherit money and they're just like, I don't know what to do. I'm stressed out. I don't want to make a mistake. Um, you know, but but those are, those are all good problems to have. Um, do we, should we be teaching our young kids about money? A hundred percent, Dr. Joe, you're going to have to come to my next, um, you're going to have to come to the next smart with money fair that we do at the high school. Okay. So for seven years running, we, I don't know what's going to happen in 2021, but for seven years, we McNamara financial has organized, uh, with, with one of my friends and the teachers at the high school, um, the smart money fair, which is like a, you, you might've heard of credit for life fair, just like, you know, it's like a one day, tons of information, about you know the importance of of you know living within your means and and not using credit cards unless you can pay them off and tucking money in retirement when you have a 401k available to you at age 23 mm-hmm. um and and yeah that stuff is incredibly important and and i've had some discussions um with the principal at the high school about it and they, you know they're doing what they can to try to work that stuff into the day-to-day curriculum there but that stuff is that's real life stuff that is so important and it, it pains me that it's not really a part of the curriculum yet. I think that they're making some yeah. steps in that regard, but, um, but yeah, we, we've, I believe in that a hundred percent, the earlier you can build good financial habit habits, the much better off you'll be long-term um, start doing stuff like right at Tom's age. Like you, you should be putting 10 to 12% in your 401k Tom and, and have, you know, 10 grand in the bank, <laughs> um, you know, that, that, you know, and make a make your contributions Roth. And, you know, just, that's very generic, of course. So we have, we have a few minutes that. left at, 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 towards this time of the show. We, um, we talk about the two rules of the I am remember we're all doing the best we can influenced by the home domain, the social domain, the biological, the IC domain. And even though tonight it may seem like a pun, small changes have big effects. Um, so I'm just wondering, given your experience, what small change can you recommend to our listeners that they can make so that they have a bit more financial security? Yeah, I would say the best thing that people can do for themselves is to pay attention to where their money goes. And what I mean by that is, is I ha- I'm going to use the word budget. I hate the word, but just 
do an expense itemization know where your money goes because when you know you're going to start questioning why why am i spending money in this that and the other place and it is just naturally going to lead to better habits and a better ability to save money and you don't have to like stick to the exact numbers of the budget it doesn't have to be a, a stressful exercise um but it, it's it's just so eye-opening for people and just the, the best thing they can do that's a great for their small financial thing. life yeah. And then, so that's small change. The second thing is you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. In 30 seconds, Elizabeth, what kind of influence do you want to be? Oh, I feel like I'm on the spot right now. Why? Um, I, why? <laughs> yeah, what, what kind of influence do you want to be? Um, I want to help people have a financially secure future. I know that sounds corny, but that's... That's what I want to do. I want to educate people that money doesn't have to be stressful, that it can be it can be a source of comfort, as you said, and it can be liberating when you take control of it yourself. Listen, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you.